Argentina. We are getting over, and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, data with the Wednesday Night Wars edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, your favorite wrestling podcast. We have so much to get to today after a couple loaded shows from AEW Dynamite and NXT on Wednesday night. It has been a crazy week already in professional wrestling. So much to talk about. Of course, if you have not listened to them already, we have instant analysis from WWE Backlash from last Sunday night. We also had a tremendous show on Tuesday breaking down everything that happened on Raw and SmackDown recently along with the ouster of Paul Heyman from the WWE creative team a positive coronavirus test from a WWE developmental talent, and much, much more. So be sure to listen to those episodes if you have not already. Before we go on with today's show, why don't we try something a little bit different? Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Yeah, that's right. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating, and review. Listen to the man, Finn Balor, the prince, uh, and let us know how much you love the show. Every single review that you guys drop helps this show grow, get more listeners. I'm seeing the numbers grow, but we need your help to get there. Uh, Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. We tweet live during every major show, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW is a little bit delayed. You can't do two at once. Silver King only has so many hands. But nevertheless, tweeting about wrestling all week long, of course, you will learn when these episodes come out the second they are available from our Twitter account at GettingOverCast. And of course, you can follow the Silver King himself at Silverstein Adam. Now, as I said, folks, this is a loaded week of Wednesday night television. NXT, AEW, both very good shows. It was interesting, though. You know, I always try to figure out what show am I going to start uh, the, this episode with? Is it going to be NXT? Is it going to be AEW? And this week was difficult because I thought AEW from top to bottom was the most consistent show. I did not love the first hour of NXT at all. But the second hour of NXT was absolutely fantastic, which leads me into the things I want to talk most about coming out of wrestling on Wednesday night. So as such, we're going to start with NXT. And really, it's the basically what's the gold rush segment that NXT has going on between NXT champion Adam Cole, North American champion Keith Lee, and then Johnny Gargano and Finn Balor, who both want that North American title, and of course, Karrion Cross, who's kind of lurking in the background wanting the NXT championship. I absolutely loved the backstage segment with Adam Cole addressing the hourglass. Keith Lee then stepping up to remind him, hey, you have actually have a battle on two fronts, dude, not just one. Taking that hourglass, slamming it on the ground and breaking it. It opened up a lot of questions about what's next in NXT. And if you remember, this is the exact thing we talked about last week that we didn't know what was going to happen with the title pictures now that Velveteen Dream had been defeated, now that Keith Lee, it seemed, had beaten and taken care of Johnny Gargano, and we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. So they gave us a tease last week. Then, at the end of hour one, they put two of the company's biggest stars on TV, and then what happened? They came back from commercial and answered that question immediately in the nine o'clock hour. And I thought that was very smart booking and scheduling to try to maximize the ratings win. And, you know, it doesn't, I don't know that they have one. We'll find out, obviously, a couple hours after the show gets published. But the idea of Adam Cole being stalked by Karrion Cross while being challenged by the North American champion um, in Keith Lee is great. And of course, you have Lee 
who was still kind of feuding with Johnny Gargano that never ended, but being challenged simultaneously by Finn Balor. So you as a fan, you're sitting there wondering what the hell is NXT going to do? How are they going to pay this off? And like I said, immediately they came back from commercial break and they answered all of those questions and more. They had Adam Cole in the ring cutting a really good promo about his title, how he plans to be champion forever, and maybe he will just be a double champion. Keith Lee immediately comes out, cuts one of his best promos to date. Honestly, it was just fantastic. It was very smooth, uh, limitless like he is, and it just kind of told you what this guy's character can really be when he gets time on the mic. Of course, Johnny Gargano still followed, and I don't really have another area in which to put this in the show, so I'm just going to play you this little sound bit from Keith Lee that will be a sound drop here on Getting Over going forward. That's the most action I've had all year. Talking about Candice LeRae, um, you know, basically carrying her in the ring last week. Uh, and then Finn Balor comes out and basically, you know, I, I, you heard the sound drop I played earlier about, and it's his character now kind of breaking that fourth wall, being a smart type of guy and kind of saying, look, you know, you guys are all worried about each other. I'm, I'm just worried about me and you guys should all be worried about me. So I just thought it worked on all fronts, all four guys dropped great individual promos on why they either want or deserve the titles. Um, Balor coming right out and being so aggressive really spoke to me in terms of his character. And then as you have all these guys in the ring wondering what's going to happen, of course, William Regal pops onto the screen and he sets up Keith Lee, Johnny Gargano, and Finn Balor for the North American title on July 1st, with the winner taking on Adam Cole for the NXT Championship on July 8th. And and why is NXT doing this? Of course, they are going head-to-head with AEW's two-week Fighter Fest, where they took that show that was a pay-per-view a year ago, and they have made it basically two weeks of TNT television. That's big. It's going to be big for them. All the titles are on the line, a couple major matches. It's going to be two great weeks of AEW TV. For NXT to counter that would have been very difficult. It's still going to be very difficult. But this is the way you book when you are trying to compete. You book in advance, Let's not forget, there's another week of shows before those two even happen. So you're you're booking in advance, you're getting your biggest names and your best people there, and you try to put on awesome matches. What's particularly good about this is that NXT does not often book the multiple guys in a ring all wanting the same thing like WWE does. In fact, the last time I can even remember NXT really doing it was ahead of that North American championship situation when they announced that that title was going to exist. I think you can probably say they also did it for the women's number one contendership that ended up in that ladder match that Io Shirai won. But even that didn't feel as WWE, I guess, as this was. But again, because it's such a uncommonly used trope in NXT, I was totally fine with it. And when WWE does do something like this, it's never as creative as booking a two-week scenario where both titles are on the line and there's a triple threat and then there's a singles match. It just felt unique, different, and it felt like something that William Regal had to come up with, of course, because it is that NXT style of doing it as opposed to having a gauntlet match or uh, a battle royal or a fatal five-way or something like that, you know, and that's kind of what WWE would do. So to have NXT do it this way was great. So again, as I said, they teased all of this last week and then one week later, they completely paid it off and they're going to, they set up how they're going to pay it off in July, July 1st and July 8th. And all of this time, while talking about these guys, these four guys, you're kind of thinking, yeah, well, what about Karrion Cross, right? Like Karrion Cross kind of stepped up and said he was going to be challenging Adam Cole on that show ending segment we all loved a couple of weeks ago. Well, they paid that off too, because they showed Karrion Cross and Scarlett being displeased, seeing the hourglass broken. And look, 
do we know how this is all going to transpire? I think we do. I think we all know Keith Lee is going to retain his title. He'll probably beat Johnny Gargano in the triple threat. He'll go on to face Adam Cole. They'll have a great match. And then at, you know, 9.55, Karrion Cross's music and smoke will come out, either distract one of them or more than likely he'll come into the ring, beat up both of them. And that will be the result. And you're not going to have any title changes and you're kind of going to say, oh, well, what was the point of the entire thing? But as long as it's booked well, that is something I can stomach. I mean, you look at AEW, they had a title match and a number one contender match ahead of Fighter Fest this week on TV. Neither changed and we're getting the match we expected anyway at Fighter Fest. So ultimately, I'm okay when booking goes that way, but you just have to pay it off and book it properly. And so far, the way they have handled this extended feud situation, I am very confident that they will. But preceding all of this was this therapy session that Roderick Strong went to. And folks, I thought it was an A-plus segment. I saw some criticism out there that people didn't think it was funny. But man, Undisputed Era is so damn good together. Adam Cole basically laid the foundation for this segment and then directed us as the viewer through the entire thing perfectly. Of course, Kyle O'Reilly showing up as the therapist, putting on a geeky, unique uh, voice was hysterical. And Roderick Strong showed a lot of character and charisma, um, you know, that Dexter Loomis is still in his head tormenting him. And then, of course, the final scene at the end with Strong trying to face his fears of the trunk and then just sprinting away like he's a track star and Adam Cole and Bobby Fish basically throwing up their hands and just saying, all right, screw it. Let's just go get him. It was all perfect. It all worked out really well together. So I just thought it was tremendous. Uh, Everything that Undisputed Era and Adam Cole did basically on Wednesday night was a huge home run. And like I said, putting it all in the middle of the show, it told someone who flipped over, hey, you're about to get some really important stuff that you're going to want to stay tuned to watch. And that's what NXT needs to do because AEW is going to win this ratings war either every week or the vast majority of weeks. And while I don't think NXT exists to win the ratings war, and we're going to talk about that later, I got a DM slide about it, it does still want to do better. And the people on that show have pride and do want to be the most watched show. So in order to do that, you have to book ahead of time, you have to book strong segments, and you have to put your biggest stars on TV. And as we mentioned with AEW last week, that's something that they haven't really been doing. Like John Moxley is basically absent. And when he's there, you see him for 60 seconds. In, AEW, uh, in NXT on Wednesday night, you saw Adam Cole frequently, you saw um, Keith Lee frequently, Finn Balor, etc. So th- I really liked what they did from that respect. If I'm going to criticize it previously, then I got to praise it when they do it right. Uh, the show opened up with the tag team title match, uh, Imperium defending against Emporium, which was Breezango. This was just a total mess to me, 100% top to bottom. I didn't think the match was good. Indu Share and Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch running down was fine, but Fandango then losing via a simple DDT was a head-scratching finish. I still know nothing about Indu Share. Uh, the tag team division for NXT, as we've talked about, is just garbage right now. Those four teams basically do nothing for me. I do like Imperium, but without Walter, I don't feel the weight of them. They don't feel important. I know they're good in the ring, but from a character standpoint, you can only go so far with we are ring generals. And the other people, we don't really know much about them or they're not overly good or entertaining. So it just kind of all gets lost and muddled together in a mediocre division. Now that said, what I alluded to last week when I saw Velveteen Dream run out at the end of the show and save Dexter Loomis, it does actually seem to be coming to fruition. I loved the Velveteen Dream promo that followed that match. Uh, Dexter Loomis kind of sneaking in and dropping a drawing of the two, holding the NXT tag team titles. 
It's what I theorized last week, as I said. So obviously I do personally want that to pay off because Silver King loves being right, as you all know. The idea of Dream saying that he's a solo act fits with his character. So he'll need to be convinced, obviously, to team up with Dexter Loomis. I love the idea of them as a team. Uh, And as long as they develop it and take their time becoming a team and becoming tag team title contenders, I think I'm going to like it very much. But there is something in me that always prefers developed tag teams, the Revival, the Usos, New Day, even the Bar, despite the fact that they started as individuals, rather than a couple individuals that were thrown together and just become a tag team and win the titles and have success for a short period of time. I I want WWE across the board, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT to develop tag teams in both the men's and women's division. And I don't think Dream Loomis long-term is going to be one of those. Uh, Damian Priest against Killian Dane was next. It was a win for Priest. Good big man match from top to bottom. It was a much needed bounce back victory for Priest. But Dane has been like completely absent and largely irrelevant since returning to NXT. And I think we all kind of assumed going back to NXT would give him a rebirth because towards the end of his run there, he was putting on some great matches and had some huge highlight moments. The North American ladder match, one of them, um, as I alluded to earlier, of course, there was also that I forgot what the stipulation was, but it was a match that they were in with DIY. Um, and I think the revival that was fantastic. So, you know, there's there's been some really big moments for Killian Dane, but haven't really seen them since he's returned. I know he think I think he had one feud, maybe it was with Finn Balor. But other than that, we haven't really seen much of him. Uh, but both of these guys here looked good. Uh, Dane going after the wasted Robert Stone at the end. Hopefully that's indicative that he's going to be there more. Um, otherwise, I don't know why they would necessarily use him to do that but we will find out. And then fast forwarding a little bit later in the show, you saw Cameron Grimes kind of stalking Damian Priest earlier and then slashing his tires. Now they're going to fight next week. I'm fine with the quick developing storyline and I'm glad that they're giving people things to do, which is very important. But I don't know why a heel is tormenting another heel. We have no motivation for Grimes on that on that part. Um, are they going to turn Priest face? And if so, Why? So I, I'm not exactly sure what they're going to be doing with all of that. Um, Aaliyah versus Zaya Lee. Market zero. Forget for the fact, for the moment, that Lee is the one who should be getting pushed because she is. Great energy, really good in the ring, talented. She's been there a while. Aaliyah has been there too for an extended period of time and things just haven't worked with her. They've tried her on her own. They tried her in a, in a tag team that didn't work. And now she's kind of in this weird situation with Robert Stone. But given an opportunity to try to start getting over what happens at the end of that match, it gets botched. Aaliyah um, basically lets up because she thinks Zia Lee's trying to kick out and forgets that that's the finish. The referee looks up and despite Zia Lee's shoulders still both being down, decides to stop counting, then recounts. So basically she got a five count on Zia Lee to win the match. I don't know. Robert Stone, everything they've been doing with him, Coming out of Chelsea Green, it's been intriguing and interesting. I actually care to see what happens with him in the future. But they picked the least interesting person for him to actually work with. And when there's so many other women back there who could be options, there's so many men back there who could be options. This isn't necessarily against Aaliyah. It's just like, what's the point of this? Is she going to be a title contender? Because I don't really see her doing that. So unless he maybe finds a tag team partner for her and starts developing a team or something like that. It's just not something that works for me. I don't see it 
lasting long-term. And I think from what we've seen from Robert Stone, we could probably find a better person or a better storyline for him to be involved with. Again, uh, Timothy Thatcher with the trainer vignette. I'm going to keep holding off judgment to see where it goes, but it's got to go somewhere soon because right now it's just, okay, yeah, he knows submission moves and he's training people. What's the point of this? And who's he going to feud with? And is he ever going to do anything as good as the fight pit in NXT? I don't know that he will. So it's, it's all a wait and see situation for him. Dakota Kai and Caden Carter. Uh, rather than have Kai beat both members of a new tag team off the bat, what I would have preferred NXT to do is see Carter and Casey Kenton-Nazaro, who are now a legitimate tag team together, actually find a way to beat Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez by fluke roll-up or distraction you know, with Tegan Knox or something like that. And then after establishing them as a tag team, have Dakota Kai beat each of them individually as singles. Then you have a promo backstage where they say, look, we're struggling right now, but together we're a lot better than we are apart. You have them as a real tag team. You start developing them as a women's tag team on the show. And all of a sudden you have something there. I like Caden Carter. I like Casey Kent-Nazaro. I like Dakota Kai and I like Raquel Gonzalez. For some reason, this didn't work the way it was booked for me. I did very much, by the way, like that middle rope pedigree that Caden Carter did. That was pretty sick. Mercedes Martinez, a little quick vignette video was good. Liked her a lot in May Young Classic too. So excited to see her actually get more screen time and get an opportunity. You know, she's a little bit on the older side in terms of, you know, starting in NXT. I kind of put her along the lines of Samoa Joe coming in. And it's it's someone who may be in that title picture sooner than later, get a nice little run, and we'll see what she ends up doing there. But I like her a lot. Very talented wrestler. And like I said, May Young Classic too. If you did not see that tournament, you really should because it was great. Bronson Reed defeats Leo Rush. The Reed splash uh, was something to see, boy. I mean, that, man, he just ate him up. That was crazy. And I love that Bronson Reed, this guy who has basically lost every time we see him on TV, despite putting on good matches, despite us knowing he's a really talented wrestler, calling out Carrie and Cross, he's going to end up losing that match, of course. But okay, good. This guy's showing some gumption and, you know, it gets him in a bigger spotlight where they can promote that match. Cross wins, but hey, maybe it goes 10, 12 minutes or something like that. And he gives us a really good showing and that elevates him going forward into a North American title picture, or he finds a tag team partner, or something like that happens. Now, everything else I talked about was great, but let me tell you about something that was amazing, and that's Legado del Fantasma. Holy crap, Santos Escobar, folks, can cut a damn promo, and he can do it in perfect English. And I say this every time, it is not a requirement of mine that foreign talent speak English. I don't believe in that at all. But it does help, and it does help Vince McMahon long-term when you're talking about the main roster to trust you to get over. There's a reason why Alberto Del Rio was so heavily pushed. Eddie Guerrero as well. Other guys that are, you know, Mexican or from other countries, when you can completely speak English, WWE, Vince McMahon feels very confident that they can use you in a more prominent role. I think it's one of the things that's held Andrade back a little bit, despite him being so damn good in the ring, so charismatic and so incredibly talented, if he could speak a little bit better, and I know he's been trying and it's coming through and I hope he keeps doing it, but if he could speak English a little bit better, I think you would have seen the rocket strapped to him long ago. I think he'd already be in the main event picture. Instead, he's going between mid-card tag team right now, and I do hope he gets to the main event sooner or later. But back to Santos Escobar. Holy crap, great promo, great look. The, the quick vignette they did ahead of time was fantastic. 
I love the group name, the legacy of Phantasma. It makes sense. It's a way to keep Phantasma in the gimmick, yet allow him to be his own guy, the Santos Escobar character. Um, the concept that Escobar used to explain his unmasking and his goals in NXT were great as well. Absolutely perfect so far. Uh, Drake Maverick coming out and kind of doing the I have more guts than brains thing. Also very good. It's a good way to kind of give Phantasma, sorry, Escobar, a feud that he's going to win off the bat, of course, and look extremely strong. And it's a good way to keep the momentum going with Maverick where he's still going to be on TV. I don't know what they're going to do with him long term. In NXT, maybe it is just a cruiserweight situation um, and he's just kind of there. Or maybe he does become maybe like an assistant GM maybe for William Regal. I think that would be pretty cool, especially with Regal not able to be there. So I do think there's some interesting things they can do with Maverick, but so far so good here. And that Phantom Driver, oh, I mean, it mostly missed the table and Maverick landed on the concrete. So I hope he's okay, but that looked awesome. So this was an A plus plus extra credit segment for me. My favorite segment on the entire show, despite what I let off with regarding Adam Cole, Keith Lee, Finn Balor, and Johnny Gargano. And then the main event of the show, Women's Tag Team Championship, uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks defending against Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart. And look, I'm going to be honest here. I think NXT failed massively to take advantage of the fact that two huge WWE stars and two NXT legends were at the show. They should have had them cut a promo in hour one. They should have shown them getting prepared backstage or brushing off NXT talent who wanted to meet them and shake their hands. There should have been multiple instances where you get to visually see Sasha Banks and Bailey on the show rather than a couple graphics promoting the main event. Because again, throughout the entire rest of the show, anytime you may have grabbed viewers from AEW, if you're NXT, you want to keep them. So I follow up that big middle segment. Hey, don't forget coming after the break, Sasha Banks and Bailey uh, warming up backstage or, hey, you know, we're going to check in and see what they're doing open the show with them doing a promo as opposed to a tag team title match that largely underdelivered. So I would have gotten them on screen a lot more. I still think there is a chance that NXT ended up winning the ratings this week, but it's not all about that. It's really about doing the best job to put a creative product out there. And when you have names like that on the show, just to kind of say, hey, yeah, they'll be in the main event. Why not? Why not do more? They're there. So you should do something with them. Now, that said, the match itself was really good from both teams. Great tandem offense from Tegan Knotts and Shotzi Blackheart. They looked like a real team, which is what I've been talking about this entire show in prior weeks. Need to develop teams like that. And the fact that they were using that tandem offense kind of told you, hey, they've tried it out. They're working together. They're figuring this out. And they gave Sasha Banks and Bailey a run for their money, both in kayfabe and in real life. It, it was a very good match. Banks continues to be super smooth, um, I think she's doing the best work of her career, as I've said previously. The finish was very creative, and it was great with Shotzi Blackheart being strong enough to escape the bank statement, then locking her in the cattle mutilation, which is basically Daniel Bryan's old uh, move when he was Bryan Danielson at Ring of Honor, and then Bailey kind of getting in there, interfering a little bit to give Sasha the opportunity to reverse it back into the bank statement and get the victory. So obviously the right people went over here. Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart looked great in that match. Shotzi in particular had a number of like high-flying moves and just really was able to show off. And again, with her, that vignette we had a couple of weeks ago, which was absolutely horrid, keep her in the ring and allow maybe her to work with Tegan and figure some things out because I thought this was absolutely fantastic. And then the show closing with Io Shirai running out to claim that it's her NXT um, 
getting some pretty solid moves on both Sasha Banks and Bailey. It was a great way to finish the show, a good way for Io Shirai to assert her dominance as she's still kind of waiting to see what her main feud is going to be on NXT now that she's the women's champion. So, you know, it was good, successful overall, considering how big Sasha Banks and Bailey were in the NXT universe. I mentioned earlier they should have done more with them on the show. It was also a little strange to see them return in an empty arena with not much fanfare. It was still worthwhile, and we got our money's worth seeing them in that main event. But I just definitely think they could have ultimately done more with them. But that said, strong main event, incredibly strong middle of the show. Santos Escobar has been batting a thousand since the very beginning. This was a very, very good episode of NXT. Moving over to AEW, I did not find an individual segment that I wanted to spotlight at the front. And I think that's probably the biggest reason why I felt NXT was critically the better show on Wednesday by literally a hair though, just a very little bit. Um, But so because of that, I'm just going to go in order of what went down on AEW. And there was a lot to like Wednesday night on TNT. Tag team title match opened the show and it definitely beat the NXT title match head to head. No question about it. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defeating the Natural Nightmares. Normally, I'd say that a tag team title match should main event the show. But the Natural Nightmares really posed no threat to actually take the titles. There was no surprise for me that it was a very good match. But it was a total surprise that Dustin Rhodes ended up being the man of the match in a bout with Omega and Hangman. So as I said, way better head-to-head than NXT. Really good start to the show. Um, anytime you can get kind of Kenny Omega or Hangman Page right off the bat to start AEW, you're going to keep a lot of viewers kind of flicking between the two to see what they should start with. And that is how you do it when you're AEW. Next up was Abaddon defeating Anna Jay. I am not sure why, but I really liked Abaddon. Something totally different than I've ever seen from a women's wrestler before. I would love to get a vignette package and really get to know what she's supposed to be, the motivations for the character. And I have no doubt that AEW is going to give us something like that. But if I was them, I would keep her away from in-ring interviews or anything that makes her seem at all normal. I would do everything in a dungeon or in a boiler room, kind of like Mankind or something like that. Give her that legitimate mystique. But damn, I thought that was absolutely awesome. Um, I didn't think she was incredible in terms of a wrestler, but the gimmick was so different and new and fresh. And I'm just really into it. And I did see that AEW formally signed her. So that's awesome. And I hope that she has a really good career there. At the end of that segment, Dark Order came out and I just, I'm struggling with Dark Order. Um, The entire gimmick is that people who are losers need to stop losing and join them so they can be winners. But the problem is Dark Order does nothing but lose historically on AEW. It's a undercard faction, yet it's the largest faction on the entire show. So those two things don't really compute to me when you're trying to have them be dominant and have the gimmick be that They're recruiting losers to be part of a winning group, yet they never win. They seemingly can't get little things they want, like Colt Cabana to join them. Now, it does seem Anna Jay is going to be part of the Dark Order. And one of my favorite things when you're talking about factions is when a faction actually brings in female members and makes them full-fledged members. We're not talking about a valet being part of NWO. We're talking about China being a major part of Degeneration X. So I don't know exactly what they're going to do with Anna Jay or how many women they might might have, but I've always believed that strongest factions should have men and one or two women at least 
as part of them. And then all of a sudden, it's a lot, it's something a lot bigger than it otherwise could be. And it, it gives it a reason to be dominant across multiple brands on a show, not just singles and tag team, but the women's division as well. So very interested in all of that. Uh, MJF defeating Billy Gunn. Uh, I like the booking, even though Billy doesn't really need to look strong and there's no good reason for him to look strong because he's not a full-time wrestler there. He has the size and experience advantage by a mile. So you can't just let MJF come in there and kick his ass and or even get over him easily. The way they booked that with MJF kind of being scared and running away from him, I, I kind of liked it. What I don't like and what I didn't like here is the diamond ring. I mean, I hated it from the start, but that being able to knock someone out to the point that they can get counted for a one, two, three is ridiculous. It's not big enough. It's flat. Even if you hit someone with a point, it would only poke them. So what I'd prefer they do with that diamond ring is if you're going to have them use it as a weapon, have it stun the opponent and then allow MJF to hit a finisher or another move to take them down and get the one, two, three. So I did feel that the finish was pretty stupid, but you know, nevertheless, it was the right booking for MJF to go over Billy Gunn. And then everything else that happened at the end of that match, I guess it's leading to a lumberjack match with Wardlow and Luchasaurus next week. Fine with that. Pretty interesting. Pretty good. Again, AEW does a really good job finding things for their wrestlers to be doing storyline-wise in between major feuds. And this is a really good example of that. Big Swole driving Britt Baker off uh, on her role model, or Rolls Royce, I guess is what it's called. Um, got a good chuckle for me. I'm glad they're giving Britt something to do while she's hurt. But what Big Swole really needs is a feud in the ring. She needs to be beating people and getting victories and getting some type of cachet where she can then kind of say, hey, look, I deserve opportunities. I deserve to be featured here. Because the AEW women's division, especially with recent injuries and people not being available, it is rough right now. I mean, I'm not trying to compare the two shows in this regard. I'm just, it's something I noticed. There were 15 women featured Wednesday night on NXT. And that is a lot, don't get me wrong. But there were 15, 13 of which got physical during the show. There were seven on AEW, four of which got physical. And most weeks, there's just a singles women's match or basically a tag team, women's tag team match. And that's the maximum. So that is a, for a two hour show, 13 versus four in terms of physicality or some type of involvement in that arena, it's a pretty major difference. Um, and I just think that's something that AEW needs to try to play to the some strengths they have. They do have Big Swole, use her. They do have Penelope Ford, use her. And they did do that. Um, Allie and Brandy are there, good, use them. And they did a little bit this week. They got them on screen more. So, you know, start using the women, start making them a bigger part of the show. I did like the way they did that a little bit this week. But then again, when you're talking about the women's division in terms of wrestling, the only, there was one match and it was two basically newcomers. So, you're not really featuring the women's division at all in terms of the entering talent and ability. So that was a little bit disappointing for me. Uh, so you have Cody cutting that promo before his open challenge for the TNT championship. And Cody goes ahead and he talks about he's not sure whether he's in the elite anymore or the nightmare family. And he holds up four fingers on his chest, alluding to the four horsemen, kind of waves him around a little bit. And it seems to me like a clear tease. It could be a swerve. No question. Um, but it seems to me like it's a clear tease. And I think it could make sense. Certainly, FTR would have to be involved. And it's something that Brian Campbell and I used to talk about on the old show. You have FTR, you add a couple more people, and a four horseman is really strong. Or something similar to that is really strong. 
And I guess maybe Spears could be the fourth one or Spears himself could be a swerve. And maybe Tully is kind of using him to like get someone else, bring someone else in or get someone else over. But I just kind of have a little bit of a problem with AEW co-opting the Four Horsemen. I mean, the Four Horsemen, despite being a four-person group, and obviously it went under different machinations throughout its history. Lex Luger was in it at one point. Um, it's a Ric Flair vehicle. It's, it's something that Ric Flair led. You wouldn't really do DX without Shawn Michaels or HBK. You wouldn't really do NWO without Hulk Hogan or Hollywood Hogan, Kevin Nash, or Scott Hall at a minimum. And yes, I know you have Arn Anderson and you have Tully Blanchard both in AEW, but they're not going to be part of it. If anything, they'd be in the J.J. Dillon role. They'd be the managers. So I don't know. It just didn't totally sit right with me that they might go in this direction. Of course, there's also the entire concept that Dusty Rhodes was the primary, basically, antagonist uh, for them. And now his son is going to be in the group, potentially. I don't exactly know what they're doing, um, but it feels to me a little cheap to just go in the direction of the Four Horsemen. And don't forget also, I'm not saying it's any less cheap, but in WWE, you literally have Ric Flair's daughter, Charlotte, leading or as part of the four horsewomen of WWE. And yeah, I know Becky Lynch is pregnant and she's not there right now. And I know they're not all together, so it's not an active stable. And honestly, it never has been in WWE. But it's something that WWE has kind of already co-opted, not just with them, but with Ronda Rousey, Marina Shafir, Jessamyn Duke, and Shayna Baszler as the MMA four horsewomen. So now there's two four horsewomen in WWE, the original four horsemen, and then there's the four horsemen maybe in AEW. And even if they change the name, it just kind of feels a little bit biting to me. Again, I'm not trying to overly criticize it because I want to see how it plays out. But if they do go in that direction, I just feel like it's unnecessary and they could figure out a way to do it themselves. I did think, by the way, that later in the show, uh, FTR renaming the Shatter Machine, the Goodnight Express, awesome ode to the Midnight Express. Very cool. Maybe the best renaming of a finisher I've heard in quite some time. Okay, sticking with the Cody segment, because I did drone on too long about that Four Horsemen thing. TNT Championship, Cody defended against Ricky Starks, the former uh, NWA, I believe, TV champion, if I'm correct. Everyone made a huge deal about Starks appearing for AEW. Uh, It was leaked ahead of time. I unfortunately saw it. You know, not a big deal because I didn't really know who Ricky Starks was. I had never seen him before Wednesday night. I found the match incredibly slow, plotting, and boring, and I did not at all get the hype. Now, I went ahead and went on to YouTube, and I watched a couple Ricky Starks promos from NWA, and I got it. It's very much a rock-like character that he can do. It's the confidence and the personality and the charisma. So from an on-mic perspective, I get the hype 100%. And they gave us a little bit of that in that pre-match kind of promo vignette, whatever you want to call it. But it wasn't enough for me on screen to buy into the off-screen hype that everyone in the wrestling world was talking about with Ricky Starks. Now, AEW has signed him as well. And I am confident that we'll be able to see more of that personality on TV. So impressions while watching the show, I don't get it. 
impressions doing research on my own. Totally get it. So excited to see Ricky Starks in AEW. I am a little bit surprised, by the way. AEW keeps signing so many people. They're supposed to be adding a second show this fall, but that's still a lot of payroll, I would assume, for them to carry. And I have to only imagine a lot of them, a lot of this talent must not be on exclusive deals and may only be getting paid a limited you know, salary for TV, considering there's no touring and there's no house shows. There was reports that AEW was planning to just kind of start that, get it start going right before the pandemic hit. They were going to kind of put that all into works and maybe start scheduling some of them. So maybe once everything is over, they're going to go in that direction. But for a company that's kind of just breaking even, and they're pretty lucky to be doing that given the pandemic, to just keep signing more people, their roster is huge. I mean, the AEW roster on its own is larger than Raw, SmackDown, or NXT on their own respectively. And I'm not saying it should be smaller, but it's like way larger. So it is interesting when it's a two-hour show right now, once a week, and maybe you get to four hours of TV each week and only a pay-per-view every quarter right now to have that many people working for you and so many of them not available right now. We haven't seen Pentagon and Pac and many of these other people because of travel restrictions. To have this many people on the roster, um, it's a lot. And uh, I'm a little bit concerned because there are some people already who've been getting lost in the shuffle. And to just keep adding more people, it kind of worries me that that might be a bit of a uh, endemic, I guess, going through the rest of the roster. So we'll move on here, though. Young Bucks going up against the Super Bad Squad. Definitely an entertaining match. I really enjoyed the Bucks' work in particular. In this one, you guys know I'm not huge fans of theirs, but I thought it was extremely entertaining and they were just solid from bell to bell. Really, really great. I didn't know why Matt was randomly able to, being outside the ring, not being involved in action, holding the tag rope, basically, um, able to just climb onto the top rope and drop an elbow while his brother was in the middle of a submission maneuver on offense without being tagged in. The referee just fully was watching and let it go. And then you have Butcher and Blade dressed like milkmen outside the ring wearing beanies in 90 degrees uh, Florida summer heat. I didn't get that. I also don't know why the match went on so freaking long. It took forever for that thing to finish. And then we had post-match scuffle afterward. It felt like it, it felt like it was a 35-minute segment. It was crazy. But that doesn't take away from the match. It was great. Young Bucks getting back on TV in a meaningful way, getting over uh, and beating a really good tag team on the roster, or at least a prominent tag team on the roster. Really good. And I am continuously curious what their plans are for this Young Bucks FTR storyline. AEW, while it's taping its shows, it really needs to stay in the confines of Daly's place or find other places to shoot because taping promos in that junkyard, like I guess behind the arena or behind the stadium. I mean, look, I'm a South Florida guy and I went to, you know, Florida. I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville. So I've been to Jacksonville a ton. And I say this with total bias, total bias. But Jacksonville's a pile of trash. And you don't want to show it on TV. So I don't know why they keep going back there. I think it's the third time we've seen it with the ugly highway bridge and all the scrap metal and just the dirt. Stop going there. But that said, uh, the promo by Taz and Brian Cage was great. I thought it was by far the best yet from both of them. Actually kind of bought me into the idea that Brian Cage has a personality which I didn't think he did initially. And Taz obviously definitely has a personality. It's total New York dude right there. Um, one of my favorites all time. So as I said, best get from both of them. 
Moxley kind of retorting. To me, it was just typical. I said it at the beginning of this, talking about AEW and talking about NXT. They got to get Moxley on TV more. And even if it's him not wanting to travel there and taping vignettes and doing things, that's fine. But you got to figure out a way to get your champion on television. It is bad. You, you barely have Omega and Paige on TV. You barely have Moxley on TV. Cody, you basically only see him come out for now the segments where there's the TNT Championship. And yeah, I mean, why don't you guys do some stuff in the backstage area anymore? They have so much facility there. You saw it with the FTR interview. It was great. They did it in like maybe the Jacksonville, something having to do with the Jacksonville Jaguars, one of the offices or one of the lobbies or something like that. So you have all of these offices and all these facilities across two major, a major stadium and an outdoor amphitheater. Use them. I don't know why you're filming things in a scrapyard and why the only time we're seeing people on TV is when they're just basically in the ring. So they got to do a little bit better job of that. Uh, the main event, the number one contenders match between best friends and less sex gods. I thought it was an enjoyable match. Ultimately, the right choice main event for the show. Having Orange Cassidy as the cameraman pulling Sammy Guevara's leg was a really nice touch away for him to get back at Inner Circle and Chris Jericho for the beatdown last week. So I am excited about it. I knew and I, you know, prefaced, I think last week on the show, I expected them to go with Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy for Fighter Fest, uh, one of the two nights, either July 1st or July 8th. So that is a very smart match to have. Orange Cassidy, extremely over. Chris Jericho, the best known face in the entire company, not face in terms of baby face, but literally his face and his name. Um, and the card is already extremely strong with the title matches they have. So you have the title matches, you have a really good singles match here. And I think Fighter Fest is developing to be a really exciting, good show July 1st and July 8th. And when we get to those weeks, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I will watch AEW Live and watch NXT taped, but I also can't fathom being someone who really likes NXT. The idea of not watching that triple threat match live and then having to avoid spoilers just to get to it. So it's tough. Maybe that's a dual TV night for the first time. Maybe I put AEW on one and NXT on the other and I, I, I do a streaming situation. I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, July 1st and July 8th are both shaping up to be really exciting. I would say certainly right now, AEW has a massive advantage. There are two full cards on both of those shows. It's four hours of basically pay-per-view equivalent matches. So that's going to be great. Right now, NXT has one title match on both shows. They need a little bit more. So if they're going to try to compete with those shows and not just the quarter hours, then they're going to have to certainly build up the July 1st and July 8th shows more. But I just don't see really a way that NXT beats them either of those weeks. I do think this week is possible, and we will find that out later on Thursday when those ratings come out. Again, you may get those before you even listen to the show. Now, that is it for NXT and AEW, but I did have a couple DMs slide in late, so let's read them. First up from Adam X. Parsons. At Adam X. Parsons, he writes in, Regarding TV ratings, what does NXT have to do to consistently beat AEW weekly? Do you think it'll be more likely... Uh, a positive change in NXT or something negative occurring in AEW. Even with fans in the crowds, AEW has won the vast majority of weeks since October. Well, the technical way that NXT can beat AEW is by grabbing a younger audience because they're getting absolutely crushed in the younger demo. So if they narrow that gap, they will start winning because they have the older audience as it is. And many weeks, including last week, they were only a couple thousand apart. And there are a couple weeks where they've actually won. So if NXT can grab the younger demo, not beat them, but just close that gap. And right now I think it's double. And uh, AEW's double NXT in the younger demo. That's the difference between winning and losing, just maybe 50%. And that's really all they need. 
Um, but in order to get that demo, NXT is going to have to create probably a must-watch star, just like WWE did with Steve Austin. The problem is, if NXT creates a star like that, and that's a very difficult ask, you're talking about a transcendent type of talent, but if they do create that person, he ain't going to be long, he or she is not going to be long in NXT. They're going to move him up to the main roster. You, You have to remember when you're talking about the ratings war, and we call it the Wednesday night wars on this show, because it's fun, it's a good way to kind of group both shows together. They do go head to head on Wednesday night. But NXT's job is not to beat AEW. It's to siphon viewers away from AEW and TNT. AEW has way more than 700,000 people that like it, okay? Their rating, if NXT was not going head to head with it, would be over 1 million each week. In fact, it might be 1.2 or 1.3, and all of a sudden, they're really close to a Raw that is kind of sliding down in that 1.9, 1.8 million range. And that is what's scary for Vince McMahon and for WWE. So NXT doesn't need to win. They just need to compete and put on a good show that doesn't get crushed. And that is what they consistently do. People also need to realize that despite NXT being different from WWE, the presentation, the wrestlers, all of that, it is still a WWE product. And to a large swath of wrestling fans, WWE, the brand is damaged. So they won't watch NXT just because it's associated with WWE. AEW is the rebellious product and brand. It's the revolution. It's people who stopped watching wrestling saying, you know what, I'm gonna give it another shot and buying into this new company and what's going on there. So AEW long-term is usually going to win. I don't really know a scenario in which they will consistently lose to NXT at any point. I mean, it would have to be something where the booking just gets really WCW-like, where Tony Khan starts listening to Cody and the Young Bucks and those guys decide that they have changed their minds from being smart bookers to only wanting to put themselves over the way that people in WCW got too much power. I don't think they're set up that way. And I think Tony Khan is too smart to allow that to happen, even if it actually did happen eventually. So I don't really see a scenario in which NXT normally wins the ratings war, but as long as it's consistently close and as long as they win here and there, that should be good enough from for WWE. I saw Dave Meltzer opine and basically assume um, on his post-Wednesday night show, I, I, this is secondhand, so I, I don't listen to the show. I, it's just what I heard that he thinks Vince McMahon had a large hand in NXT on Wednesday because of the Robert Stone throw-up segment and because they're doing the you know, gold rush matches and it's raining at pouring outside. So if you guys hear background noise, I'm sorry. Um, but some of the elements of, of NXT he felt were like McMahon and Pritchard, but I didn't see that at all, at all. 0%, 0.0. Let me get the sound. That's how much I saw it. 0.0. So as long as NXT remains independent somewhat, you know, 75% independent, it's going to be fine. AEW, as long as they keep their head on straight, they're going to be fine. But outside of a week here and there, a go-home show for a pay-per-view, a major match, something like that, I don't really see NXT consistently beating AEW in the ratings. We also have a DM from The Jeremy Smith Show, at Jeremy Smith Show. He writes in, quick thought on the NXT tag division. The most talented team there is Lorcan and Birch, but they can't quite get over. That's a shame because they're the most relatable team on the roster. As I've watched the last few weeks, it occurs to me they're missing good branding. The pub vignette a few weeks ago gave me a strong soccer fan vibe. I think that he should lean into that 
was something that kind of plays off the enthusiastic soccer fan culture. They could adapt a name like Grappling FC. They don't have to change much. Go with the Grappling FC name, use a tagline like Pub Strong, and maybe even have a soccer style logo for merch and t-shirts and soccer scarves. I'm not a soccer fan, but I think the gimmick would get over. Soccer style kicker. That's the first thing I thought of when I read this. You are 1000% right, Jeremy. There's not even anything for me to add. That is a perfect gimmick. It is a perfect name. It is a perfect slogan for those two. The fact that their entire gimmick is only Lorcan holding up one and Danny Birch holding up two and wearing different colored tights with flags on them. That is not a gimmick. It's not good enough. They are very talented. What I think you're looking for, the term, is hooligans. They should be soccer hooligans. They should dress like you're saying. They should be named like you're saying. And they should be kind of APA style in that you see them sitting, drinking pints, kind of chilling in the background, and people just disturb them and they decide to beat the shit out of some people. That's what Lorcan and Burt should be. And if they did that, then yeah, the tag team division would be stronger. And maybe I would actually buy into them being NXT tag team champions. Great idea, great gimmick, great potential booking for them. Shawn Michaels at REEB82. He's last today. He says, non-wrestling question topic. Do you have any sports memorabilia displayed at your house? Anything special or unique you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience? It's really funny that you ask this question. So I've been building my home office because I'm obviously working from home and taping from home uh, during the pandemic. And I built a desk, I built a chair, I put stuff up all over the walls. I have a bunch of autographs and newspapers and stuff, but I'm converting my closet, uh, my office closet, it's like a normal bedroom in a house. I'm converting it into a bookshelf. And I just bought a massive, like 70 by 60 bookshelf. I put it together a couple of days ago. I actually sprained my wrist, hurt my waist or something, my pelvis or whatever, uh, jammed a finger and hurt my shoulder putting this thing together. So I'm approaching wash status in terms of like, be getting older and getting injured, doing the most minor things. Um, but so I'm aching from top to bottom body-wise, but I put this bookshelf together and I'm looking at it right now, actually, as I'm talking to you, that's why my voice faded. And it will be filled with a ton of sports memorabilia. I have an ECW World Heavyweight Championship. I have autographed footballs and helmets, um, a lot of WWE stuff, some mini belts that WWE has sent me over the years, um, signed baseballs, really good stuff. So at some point, yeah, I guess I can take a picture and share it. I don't know how many people are actually interested in seeing it. Maybe I will do it on my personal account at Silverstein Adam rather than the show account, which you should be following if you don't already at Getting Overcast. But yeah, I will share it when it's complete, but we're probably looking at another week or two before I get everything out of boxes, uh, clean everything. And actually I have to do some uh, painting to kind of make this entire area look right. So good question, random question to just come at this particular time but hopefully I will be able to pay it off very soon. Before we get out of here today, we always talk about what's up next in the world of professional wrestling. And both SmackDown and Raw for WWE have advertised pretty heavily ahead of their next shows. For SmackDown, we have the return of the Firefly Funhouse as the number one segment being advertised. And of course, we are all curious, what does this mean? And where is Bray Wyatt going to go with this? Is it gonna reignite the Braun Strowman feud? Maybe with The Fiend this time? Is that going to be held off until SummerSlam and the Fiend uh, will have another target in the interim and maybe Strowman will as well. We do have the Extreme Rules pay-per-view coming up in July, so it will be curious to see the direction they go there. Matt Riddle will also be making his main roster debut 
on SmackDown. Interesting to see what they do. If it, if he does not fight either Cesaro or Dolph Ziggler, I will be floored. I just have to assume he's going to fight one of those two and get over because that is like the entry into a good wrestler joining a major brand is you get Ziggler or you get Cesaro, you beat them and you move on with your life. So we'll see what they end up booking. It is already taped. I promise you, I have not seen any taping results. I don't even know if they're out there, but that's just my guess. Uh, AJ Styles will also celebrate his Intercontinental Championship win. I'm interested to see what they do there. Are they going to have Daniel Bryan try to be the first challenger after losing the title match? I question that because in real life, Brie Bella, I believe she's about to have the kid in mid to late July, their second child. So if that's the case with coronavirus going on with a positive test for a developmental talent, maybe Daniel Bryan wants to get out of there. This is a good way to, he lost to Styles. Maybe it's a good way to write him off for a little bit, have him go home for three, four, five, six months. Now you have Drew Gulak who just beat AJ Styles a couple weeks ago. Maybe he's the one who gets that first title opportunity. And hopefully they do something with Chad Gable involved with that team, maybe even Matt Riddle, and they kind of put something together. Uh, I, I would love to see that. Of course, you also have Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose as guests on Miz TV. I don't know if it's just me. I'm seeing, and I feel like I'm seeing too much of the Miz. There was a period of time where they were using him frequently, but every third week you'd get a break. But the Miz in an empty arena setting does not work nearly as well as he does in front of a crowd. It's getting tiresome for me. I don't know why you need Sonya and Mandy on a talk show when their their rivalry and everything that's going on is pretty clear uh, in the direction it's going in terms of they need a big blow-off match. I assume they're going to do something at Extreme Rules. Maybe we'll get a stipulation here. That will be exciting. That's it for SmackDown on Raw. There's three things that are announced. Rey Mysterio will be returning to the show. So obviously interested to see what happens with him regarding Seth Rollins, also regarding Dominic. Um... Is there an interaction here? Do they set up a tag team match for Extreme Rules ahead of what we expect to be a Seth Rollins-Rey Mysterio blow-off match at SummerSlam? Does Dominic turn? I don't know. So excited for that. You also have the women's tag team titles on the line, Bailey and Sasha Banks defending against the Iconics. Another title defense already for them. Could they make a change? I could definitely see it. The Iconics are rolling hot right now. It could be a very quick burn for Bailey and Sasha Banks to kind of get rid of those titles and start feuding with each other ahead of SummerSlam. Maybe they wait until after Extreme Rules. We will find out on Monday. And then the Raw Tag Team Championship, we think, between the Street Profits and Viking Raiders, is the third time of advertising and promoting this a charm. We will find out on Monday. Hopefully they have the match. And hopefully the Street Profits retain because the Street Profits just just became champions basically around WrestleMania slightly before. And they've hardly fought anyone to defend the titles. I want more Street Profits. The Viking Raiders have been fine. But ultimately, I want to see the Street Profits get over, stay over, and try to lead this tag team division on Raw that really, really needs to be rebuilt. So that is it for today's show. There is something I did want to play for you, though. Uh, Coming out of Raw on Monday night. I didn't get the opportunity to play this. This was on Raw Talk. Charlotte Flair was being interviewed by Samoa Joe and Charlie Caruso and was talking about entitlement. And basically, she took it from a kayfabe situation to kind of breaking kayfabe and talking about the internet wrestling community, people on Twitter hating on her. And I thought her promo, not only was it very interesting, I thought it was very good. And I didn't get to play this on Tuesday's show, so I'm going to play it on the way out here. 
the thing is, it, it's not about who gets under my skin. It's about why they get under my skin. And, you know, I see, I hear, and I read what people say about me, that I'm entitled, that I'm always in the title picture. And here, here's the thing. I am the only person that shows up to work 365 days a year. I'm never sick. I'm never hurt. I am the hardest working person in this company. I'm on Raw. I'm on SmackDown. Hell, I do media for Fox, and I'm not even on Fox. NXT. And then they, and then they send me to NXT? No, I do anything and everything they ask because I love this business and I strive for greatness. So it's the entitled people that get under my skin. It is the people that sit at home for a year and then come back and are in the title picture. And you call me entitled because I am busting my ass 365 days a year to be the best? No, it's the people like Nia Jax who come back and are in the title picture. Uh, I've beaten Asuka twice now and I haven't had my title match. So what? I've had the Raw Championship how many times now? I think five. But that means that I can't have it a sixth time? That I'm not owed that? I'm not owed a title match? No, it's people like Sasha Banks who take time off and then come back in the title picture. But I'm entitled? No, it's the entitled people that get under my skin. I mean, Charlotte's doing such a good job bumping people. She even bumped Randy Savage off the show. And when you're right, you're right. I mean, that is real life. Legitimately true. You know, Nia Jax comes right back. Gets a title match. Sasha Banks came right back, you know, months and months ago. Got right into a title feud with Becky Lynch. Of course, storyline reasons for both make sense. But, you know, Charlotte has been here for a long time and she is getting used really well. So I have turned the corner. You know, I, I was never anti-Charlotte. You guys know, any, any long-term listeners. I've always been of the opinion that I love her. I think she's great. But yes, she is used too frequently. She doesn't ever really lose clean. And it would be nice to see a little bit more development there. But as you guys know, over the last kind of three, four weeks, I've been totally buying in back in to Charlotte Flair. Uh, her promos have been on point. This is another example of it. As I said, this aired on Raw Talk. It really should have aired on Raw. They should have had this promo on Raw. Extremely solid. So that's Charlotte saying what she needed to say to you. Savage bumped from the show. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Follow me at Silverstein Adam. And please, folks, five-star ratings and reviews all over podcast applications across the globe. Basically, Apple Podcasts. Remember, don't worry about yourselves anymore. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. So that's it. I'm saying goodbye to all of you. Talk to you later. We will be back Tuesday with another WWE edition of Getting Over. Just got three words left. Bye for now.